this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the in focus podcast i am your host ji sampath the securities and exchange board of india or sebi as it's known in a recent order has penalized the national stock exchange and its former md and ceo chitra ramkrishna for violating securities contract rules Chitra was the CEO from April 2013 to December 2016 and the violation seems to have taken place during this time most clearly in the appointment of Anand Subramanian as group operating officer and advisor to the MD along with Chitra her predecessor in the CEO's post Ravi Narayan has also been accused of violating the rules SEBI has imposed a fine of rupees 3 crore on Ramakrishna and 2 crore each on NSC Ravi Narayan and Subramanian Among the various findings of the SEBI investigation one aspect has garnered the maximum of media attention and that is that Ramakrishna as the MD and CEO had been guided in her decision making by a yogi or a spiritual guru sitting in the Himalayas it was the same yogi who made her appoint subramanian on an exorbitant salary and made her keep increasing his compensation at regular intervals While Ramakrishna and her associates are under further investigation, whole saga has raised a lot of questions. Given that this yogi sitting in the Himalayas apparently has been communicating via email, why is his identity still unknown? Did the National Stock Exchange suffer material losses as a result of this breach of confidentiality rules? And apart from the yogi Chitra and uh, Anand Subramanian, did any other entity enjoy material profit from the yogis hold over ramkrishna we look for some answers to these and other questions related to this controversy from suresh seshadri the hindu's business editor suresh thank you so much for joining us you're very welcome sampath and thanks for having me on the show suresh to start with can you give us a quick overview of what exactly was the complaint that sebi was investigating and how did this whole yogi business uh, come into the picture Yeah okay so basically sebi on the Feb- 11th of february passed a 190 page order there was a, a single whole time member ananta barua who has passed this order and in his order he has laid down the whole you know could i say the sequence of what was the complaint that was being investigated and what triggered the investigation so the complaint essentially sort of stemmed in 2015 there were some whistleblower complaint saying that there was this individual called Anand Subramanian who had apparently been appointed the complaint said in violation of norms relating to a senior official's appointment at the NSC and the whistleblower complaint sort of spoke about lack of regulatory should i say you know the proper way of running things at the NSC immediately on receipt of this complaint whistleblower complaint sebi initiated they wrote to the nsc saying at different points in time in 2016 early 2016 then in may 2016 then uh, june 2016 they sent letters to nsc asking uh, the terms under which this gentleman had been appointed had he been you know had the proper norms and procedures been followed had he been designated a key management personnel as per the securities and and were all the securities and contracts regulations you know were the was the appointment and the procedures that were followed in conformity with the 
various uh, aspects of the regulatory norms. So uh, I was just wondering, uh, how did this yogi business come up? How did they figure out that she was talking to a yogi? Yeah, so what had happened was, I think in 2018, in the NSC's reply, the NSC replied saying that, uh, so it took that long for the final reply to reach the uh, SEBI. And NSC uh, sent a reply in 2017, and then in 2018, they gave a more elaborate reply. And in that reply, they, you know, they had had a investigation by the board's nomination and remuneration committee, the NOMREM committee. And uh, that report spoke about how there had apparently been communication between the then CEO, I mean, the CEO in 2013 to 2016, Chitra Krishna, and some unknown person, and that the uh, that Chitra Ramakrishna had shared information, internal information of the exchange with this uh, unknown person via email. Then I think at some point in time, Sebi also got in touch with Chitra Ramakrishna and asked her to explain the circumstances of who the unknown person was and so on. And based on that, based on her replies, she said that this person is a is a yogi. He's a Siddha Purusha and he's uh, he's a spiritual guru and he's been guiding me for the last 20 years and I have met him in places, uh, holy places on the banks of the Ganges and uh, the term yogi I think sort of came up essentially from you know the communication that uh, Chitra made to the Sebi and I don't think it came up more than once or so but you know obviously given the fact that it sounds very uh, should I say interesting for the media this has become a big yogi has become a big word and it's sort of now doing the rounds and i think she said that he it was asked as to how he you know had been how she had been in touch with him and so on so she explained that uh, he's a siddha purusha and he's like uh, you know a person who can be at any point in time anywhere and there's no physical form limitation and so on so he's able to and he otherwise largely resides in somewhere in the himalayas so now we don't know whether all of this is entirely made up by her or whether she was led to believe that this yogi or whoever this person was lived in the Himalayas. So all of that is in the matter of conjecture and we, it's going to take us some time before we know the real truth on that. But interestingly enough, if you would like to know, I think there's a follow-on question that you have about who is in your sort of reckoning is this yogi. Yeah, I mean, if, if, we, if all we have is her word uh, that this is a yogi, uh, who, who, and you said that she believed or she has said on record that uh, this is a Siddha Purusha who is not uh, constrained by physical or whatever forces of gravity. I don't know what it means, physical limitations. It could be a Martian also, right? She could have said, I was in touch with a Martian. And it could have meant basically the same thing in terms of what it means in terms of legally, legalities and so on and so forth, right? But I think, uh, I mean, I, I would just sort of submit here that probably there are two elements to this. One is, if we were to assume that she genuinely was completely take, you know, led astray and she, had, she was gullible enough and she was vulnerable enough, uh, and it's not the first time that people in high office, whether they are politicians, whether they are business people, consult, uh, you know, batteries of astrologers and batteries of spiritual gurus for guidance for various issues. So it's, it's legendary that forces of uh, so-called spirituality have a large hold over the powers that be 
whether it is in New Delhi or whether it is in Mumbai, you know, uh, corporate captains to leading politicians have always uh, deferred to and have had various gurus and spiritual uh, counselors for various matters. So it's fairly legendary in India that, uh, you know, top politicians and top uh, business leaders consult uh, astrologers or, you know, uh, yogis and gurus and so on. So uh, all I'm trying to say is that as a narrative, if you had said Martian, uh, probably the credulity would have been stretched for Sebi or whoever was questioning you. But if you said a yogi based in the Himalayas, then... No, but aren't there, aren't there certain cults which believe that, you know, which believe, like, I don't know, Scientology may perhaps, which believe that the earth was, uh, the original in- inhabitants of the earth was, you know, civilization began with an alien invasion and some aliens actually came and helped us with technology. Yeah, yeah, there are cults, but I think in India, like like I said, the, the dominant narrative in India, and like I said, there are two possibilities. One is, like I said, she was, and interestingly enough, the NSC at some point hired a, a expert in human psychology or experts in human psychology and sought their inputs on what had happened or what was happening. And these psychologists seem to suggest that Anand Subramaniam, I mean, because the ENY's forensic audit established based on the IP address tracing or whatever it was, that the mail ID for this unknown person was Rig Sama Yajur, uh, if I'm not mistaken, let me just call it up. Which is, if you obviously, if you're familiar with the Indian Vedas, are three of the, uh, there's one other Veda, the Atrava Veda, but there were three Veda names in the, you know, in the mail ID of this unknown person. It was essentially Rig Yajur Sama or Rig Sama Yajur, I'll just call it up and tell you, at gmail.com. So, all you needed to do was just trace the mail ID of this person using the IP address or probably even send a request. Uh, if law enforcement sends a request to Google, I'm sure, you know, Google is not going to say we won't share it with you. If, if you have a case where you're clear that there is a, a violation of, uh, you know, different aspects of law, you can make a request under, uh, legal, under a legal framework and all uh, internet providers and uh, email providers are bound uh, by law to shared information on who is the, you know, the holder of that mail ID and so on. So ENY's forensic audit established that it was Anand Subramaniam who had been using that mail ID and they see, they were very clear it was, they had made a determination that it was Anand Subramaniam. NSC concurred with that finding and uh, Chitra Ramakrishna when asked who this person was said, I don't know. So like I said, uh, and the psychologist interestingly said that it appeared that she had been sort of, she had fallen prey to the wiles of this unknown person and, uh, you know, she had been manipulated by this unknown person. So if the, if, the, if the forensic audit has shown that the, based on IP address tracking that this unknown yogi is Anand Subramanian, and we know for a fact that the beneficiaries of uh, most of the decisions taken under the influence of the yogi is Anand Subramanian, then what is stopping uh, Sebi or whoever are the authorities in this case from concluding that Anand Subramanian is the yogi and his whole yogi is bullshit? I mean, what, what is stopping us from that conclusion? Sebi says that based on its examination, they did not have conclusive, conclusive evidence that uh, Anand Subramanian and the unknown person were one and the same. Now, again, whether this lack of conclusive evidence is merely being sort of brought up in order to create, keep the unknown person alive so that tomorrow we can find an unknown person as the person who was actually the unknown person. We don't know whether there is a 
political undercurrent to this whole issue because i mean there are multiple questions which have been raised in this whole issue uh, and they are some of them are fairly deeply disconcerting for one 2016 was when 2015 was when complaints came up in october 2016 nse got rid of anand subramanian he was asked to go and then in december 2016 chitra subramanian resigns you know, again i would assume that she was sort of sounded out and told that you know your staying here is not going to be tenable and so she resigns she cited at that time personal reasons and she was also let go and when she left nse she was given a severance package i mean the you know back pay and whatever was due to her was all given it was an amount of about 40 odd crores now the the issue here is between 2016 and 2022 is a six year period why suddenly did sebi wake up and you know bring up this whole thing on february 11th 2022 190 page order one two if there had been serious you know violations of law and there had been people who had been you know seriously uh, who had suffered material losses as a result of all the actions that uh, chitra ramkrishna and anand subramanian took either independently or in collusion or under the influence of the unknown yogi then why was an investigation not accelerated and done in real time i mean after all sebi has quasi judicial powers they have powers to investigate matters they have the powers to and they are created by a act of parliament they have you know like i said quasi judicial powers they can ask other enforcement agencies whether it is the central bureau of investigation whether it's the income tax department whether it's the enforcement directorate they can seek the you know should i say assistance of all these other investigative arms of government they can rope them in and seek to establish uh, all the you know violations of law whether it is criminal acts or otherwise and nothing was done so it it sort of it raises multiple questions it's and, and they are fairly disconcerting because if this is the manner in which our country's securities regulator uh, sort of let something fester and soar or or just sort of remain as it is and then suddenly wakes up and says hey voila i need to resolve this uh, it's not exactly inspiring confidence if i may put it that way right so okay from to, to look at it from the uh, other side perhaps the investigations are still in progress and maybe we will find out soon uh, some more about what's been going on but are you saying that till now there is no evidence that the nscs suffered uh, losses of uh, and some loss of material can other than we know that of course uh, the rules have been violated and these two individuals have benefited especially anand subramanian has benefited to the tune of several crores but apart from this in terms of the operations of the nsc you know brokers and investors and so on have there been any fallout of a material kind on that side of things absolutely nothing at all that's that's the interesting thing that the sebi's findings of 190 pages clearly established that there have been no material losses on account of nsc's actions of uh, you know allowing their ceo to uh, be under the influence of an unknown person and the nse having had a person with little or no securities background operating as initially as the uh, chief strategic advisor and then being promoted to the office of group operating officer and advisor to the md and ceo and the individuals concerned and the nse's board all of them collectively they have sebi's finding is that there was no material loss cost to you know uh, it's an exchange so the exchange is a place where people come and trade and at any given point in time the volume of trade that happens on the nse is fairly 
mind-boggling. It's in billions of you know, trades that happen between the contracts forwards and derivative segment. India's NSE is the world's largest derivatives exchange in the world. So, and even in the cash segment, it's one of the world's largest. It's the fourth or fifth largest exchange, so in equities. So it's a fairly large volume of trading that happens every day. And, you know, the interesting part about trading is it's not just people saying buy so many shares or sell so many shares, but there's clearing and settlement which goes on. So people have to, you know, their positions, if, if you've bought some share, you have to pay for it. If you've sold a share, you need to realize the receipts of that money. So this clearing and settlement, which has to constantly be reconciled. And, you know, like I said, for such a large volume of activity, and that has gone on absolutely uh, without any hiccup and seamlessly. So no one, no broker, no retail investor has come up and said that, you know, because of these last six months or last one year or last three years or whatever it was, we've had, we've suffered losses, of course. No, there is no complaint from any individual about people having lost money, whether it's the common small retail investor or a large institutional investor. Institutional investors are very unlikely to have let large losses go, you know, on this thing, right? They they have statutory audits going on in their companies. And if there's a large, you know, large, uh, say, a financial institution, uh, a foreign institutional investor, they have, uh, you know, boards which look into their trading account and see what profits they have made out of trading in Indian shares. And if there has been any losses that they have incurred because of the exchange operations being, there being some malafide actions and mal sort of a criminal negligence on the part of the exchange and criminal actions by officials of the exchange, they would have by now already have filed multiple FIRs in multiple police stations alleging. Uh, Basically that uh, investors as such and brokers, etc., they haven't really suffered as a result of any alleged misconduct or abuse of power or abuse of position on the part of uh, Ramakrishna acting under the influence of this yogi. Now, having said that, what about the one scam which we know of, the co-location or algo trading scam, which which, which has been uh, sort of uh, investigated for a while, which happened with the NSC, and it happened during the time when uh, Chitra uh, was uh, the Indian CEO. Is that, has there been any link uh, established between this co-location algo trading scam and uh, this entire relationship between the yogi and this person? No, the co-location thing actually happened before she became the MD and CEO. It was around 2010, 2012. That period was when the entire co-location thing happened. The co-location issue itself, matter itself, was again investigated by SEBI in 2019. They made a ruling after a four-year investigation and that again was unable to establish any you know, loss to any material loss to anyone. The co-location scam, as they call it, is a bit of a, again, a bit of a, overstated scam because there was no real scam. So basically this uh, this co-location, uh, just to, since we're running out of time, sorry to interrupt. So this co-location basically meant that certain brokers could have their own servers in the premises of the NSC to cut the lag, which would give them an advantage over other brokers who are not sitting inside the... the... Yeah, so to very quickly, yeah, sorry, sorry, I took so long, but I uh, the key point was this. The NSC decided that they were going to offer brokers an opportunity to co-locate their servers if they wish to. They brought it up, they sent out communications to all their brokers, and they did it in a manner where all brokers had an equal opportunity. Probably the number of servers that could be co-located were finite, and whether it was first come, first served or whatever, but it was, and there was a fee which was, you know, mentioned. 
and then you co-locate it. So and none of this was, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, just call a particular broker and say, hey, you can locate your uh, server, okay, just between you and me, and you give me a cut in whatever money you make. No, it wasn't like that. This was a proper procedure set up and they offered it to multiple brokers, few brokers took it up, the offer, and then they co-located their server. So this is as far as I have. But, but weren't there, weren't there allegations that there was not proper consultation done? No, 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 no. So Sebi's thing is the problem was this. When the co-location was offered, there wasn't a regulatory framework already in place to deal with an issue of co-location. See, the regulation has, you know, often in many countries, regulation trails at the advent of technology or the advent of actual actions. So NSE kept remaining at the cutting edge of many things that it was doing. And one of these was to offer co-location to brokers. And when they did that, there was no, SEBI didn't have a regulation which said you can't offer co-location to servers because you would be disadvantaging other people who don't have their servers co-located. There wasn't any regulatory thing which was there. So now post facto, they have said that, you know, you shouldn't have done this. So fine. I mean, people were charged fines, NSE was charged a fine. And that's it, you know. So the, the problem in all of this is if you if you make something out to be a scam, if you go and look at SEBI's own order of 2019, it, they have very clearly said that they have not been able to establish any, uh, you know, violation of any, uh, let me try and read the operative part if I can just call it up here. No, and so I was basically, I was trying to establish if, uh, if this co-location issue, which is one of the things which we've associated in terms of some kind of uh, 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 deviation from the norm, or the best practices with regard to the NSE, if there is anything going on uh, with Chitra Ramakrishna's, you know, the kind of allegations uh, that have been sort of flung in a direction in the context of a relationship with this yogi, if there is anything which sticks in the co-location scam. But from what you're saying, I, I mean, it, it seems to me that it's not quite a scam. It's, it's more uh, something more complicated than that and which falls short of uh, what you might call a misdemeanor. Uh, from her side. So moving on from this uh, particular point, what action has Chitra and her associates uh, faced so far? Like, and what are the agencies, different agencies involved uh, doing right now? So this is media reports. I think besides Sebi's order, I think uh, the IT department had conducted raids on her premises and I think uh, also Anand Subramanian's premises. Then, and I think in Chitra's case, she probably has some ancestral or, or probably some relative's home in Chennai. I'm not quite sure what the home in Chennai is about, but uh, she otherwise grew up in, uh, to the best of my knowledge, she grew up in Chembur and she is a largely a Mumbai uh, person, but probably she has, uh, you know, at some point invested in property here or she has relatives here or whatever. So they, the IT department conducted raids in Mumbai and Chennai. And uh, then I think the CBI is grasped of the matter and they are trying to investigate and see if they have now the latest reports talk about trying to, you know, uh, use the money trail to establish what happened in the co-location scam, uh, as they call it, the scam, to see if they can follow the money and find out who, if at all, did, uh, should I say, benefit unduly and who caused, you know, what what was happening really. And then, as far as I know, the IT department and CBI, uh, the enforcement directorate, I haven't seen any reports, but yeah, these are the two main investigating arms besides of course there, there is some trip she apparently took uh, with this yogi uh, person to Shishesh, which is a tax haven and that also seems to be something uh, they're looking into is that right yeah so there was talk of a trip i don't know whether the trip actually happened or not i am i am unaware of that but uh, 
I would, I guess the investigators would probe all those angles, whether she actually went on that trip and if she had gone on that trip again, it should be fairly easy to track down the fact as to whether she took a trip or not, because whether it's tickets or your passport and visa information, all of that is, uh, you know, today, the way the world is digitized, it should all be just in, in a matter of a few minutes, the investigator should be able to ascertain and tell you whether she took a trip and if she took a trip, when she took a trip and who else went with her and where she went and when she came back. Because like I said, your MHA, the uh, immigration control desk at every airport, when you leave the country, you have to go through the airports, uh, you know, you have to passport control or whatever we have in our Indian MHA has. And similarly, when you fly back, you come through your, so I mean, I, I think all of this should be fairly clear, straightforward in a matter of minutes to establish some of these things. But uh, I think for whatever reason, it's all remains a big mystery and a big question. So let's see. Right. So before we wind up, Suresh, one final question. Uh, so what do you think is going to be the impact of this entire saga of this Yogi and Chitra Ramakrishna and, and, the, and the kinds of uh, discourses are floating around? What is going to be the impact of this on the functioning of the bourses, especially the NSE? Will it affect the credibility of the Indian markets uh, in any way? And how do you think it's going to play out? I would think not at all, Sampad, because basically at the moment, it's probably providing a lot of entertainment to a lot of people reading about this and watching television news or otherwise. And probably international media has also picked up on this simply because it involved a yogi and so on. So yeah it'll it'll create a lot of uh, mirth and a lot of uh, interesting you know chatter and uh, conversations but ultimately any foreign institutional investor or even you know and largely the indian market the investment from overseas is largely uh, of two kinds fdi which is you know people corporates coming in and investing in indian companies but as far as the exchange is concerned it's fii's who are coming in and investing and they are their investments are essentially driven largely by very, uh, should I say, clearly arithmetic and, uh, you know, factors of uh, strategy and so on. So they look at interest rate arbitrage, they look at exchange rates, and they look, of course, at whether a given market has a lot of upside potential and so on. So uh, why, for instance, right now, the FIIs are exiting has got nothing to do with the NSE scam or otherwise, and they've been exiting for some time now because of the fact that the perception is that the U.S. is going to, the Fed is going to start raising rates. And if the U.S. raises rates, the interest rate arbitrage element starts uh, because the interest rate arbitrage is a function of not just the interest rate, but also the exchange rate. So if the rupee is depreciating and you are investing in India in rupees and, you know, when you sell your stocks, you sell the rupee equivalent. But if the rupee is depreciating, what you've made out of as a profit, when you convert that back to the dollar, you get lesser dollars. So... So, so, like I said, it's it's a combination of multiple things which uh, investors, foreign institutional investors, keep in mind when they come and invest in Indian markets, at least in the equity markets. There's also debt investment which happens, but that again largely is driven by interest rate arbitrage and so on. So, I don't think there's going to be any material impact on investment in the exchanges or in Indian stocks. There's one interesting comment you made earlier. I just thought, you know, uh, as, as my final question, I'll just follow up on that in case you wanted to add anything. You you, you said it's really curious why uh, SEBI had waited six years uh, from 2016 to 2022 February uh, to come up with this 190-page report. I mean, is it like, uh, 
is is there something else like that that attention is being sort of uh, not given to as a result of this what is happening do you think <laughs> uh, well i don't want to uh, get into the realm of speculation and conjecture all i can say is that it, it does sort of beg the question as to whether the effort is to you know make this issue so large and so significant that a lot of attention is devoted to this to the should i say to the uh, detriment of attention being devoted to other issues so and as to what the other issues are what is not being covered is not something which i would like to get into the realm of speculation but i can just say that uh, for instance on the same day of february 11th there was another order by passed by sebi which uh, and sebi's website is open for access to anyone and everyone you can just go and click on the link of sebi orders and you will find there was an interim order passed and there was an individual who is a very prominent industrialist businessman from a very illustrious business family uh, so yeah i mean that order was also fairly significant but the amount of media attention that that has drawn since february 11th till february 22nd in the last 11 days is uh, negligible or sort of almost non-existent attention but like i said that's not my realm of speculation it's possible that just the media thinks that this is really the story to follow up on might be they might be right absolutely Right. Thank you so much, Suresh. That was quite an enlightening and absorbing discussion we had. I quite enjoyed it, and uh, though although I didn't quite get the finer points of arbitrage and uh, all those things you were talking about, on the whole, on the whole, it was quite an insightful discussion. Thank you so much for your time. A pleasure talking to you. Thank you. In focus. We'll be back soon. with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other platforms just search for in focus by the hindu we'll see you soon